This whole weekend, the theme is on finishing strong, and man, I don't know about y'all, but after what Gerald just shared, Claude talked about sort of total consecration and, and total obedience, and you know, a lot of stuff that I felt like he said it in a very meek and humble way, but I felt like it was like a sledgehammer coming down on a lot of what uh, complacency that, uh, that, that we as men often sort of lull into. And then this morning, Gerald sort of, in his passionate way, brought this idea of the gospel being a declaration of a new authority. And, and none of us all sat together and figured out, hey, what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? But it's what is God doing? And, and I want us to talk about what it means to be the leader that God has called you to be. Okay, what it would be to be that leader. And so raise your hand. If you're married, raise your hand. Let me just see real quickly. And by default, if you're single, raise your hand. <laughs> That's right. You can't have both hands up. That doesn't work unless you're just stretching earlier. Okay. Um, God puts stuff together sometimes that's really, really neat. And so I hope as, as we journey through, whether you're married or single, what I'm going to share, the application may look different, but the principles are absolutely the same for every man that God ever created and ever will create. It's really awesome that, that in a confused culture, and Gerald talked about some of the things that confuse us and exhaust us and the misinformation and things like that, that in our culture we've, I mean, I, I'm 45, 46 years old, so I might be sort of dead in the middle of from the highest to the lowest in here age-wise, but I remember when in college all of a sudden I started hearing things about, well, you can't say that, that's chauvinistic or that's rude or that's inappropriate. And I wasn't cussing. I was just sort of saying a fact is a fact. And, and, and since then, since 1989, it's just been this bigger and bigger ball of confusion about what is a man, what does it mean in a culture to be a man, what does it mean to be a husband and a father, what does it mean to be a brother and a son. And, and out of this, I think, families get fragmented. And Gerald sort of spotlighted a couple of areas of how it happens that we would somehow think that we can be halfway in the gospel and halfway out of the gospel. And so I want to ask before we, we open up the word, and we're going to start in the book of Genesis where it all began. We're going to start there and then we're going to run into the New Testament. Because I think if the beautiful thing about Genesis is if you want to know how God intended things to be, you can look before the fall. You can look and see how God created and how God designed and what He told Adam and what he told Adam, I think, is something he would tell us today. And then Jesus coming as the new Adam, let us know what God intended for us as men, whether we are married or whether we are single. And so I want to pray, and when we pray, I want to do this. I want you to ask God to speak to you one thing. Just say, God, show me one thing. I mean, I was telling Gerald, I said, I got 75 points, okay? I'm not... I'm not spitballing trying to hope, okay, if I shoot this shotgun with bird shot, I'll hit somebody with something. I believe when we get to the idea of what it means to be the leader God called you to be, God has given us some fundamental things and they really don't change. And it doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, or in the year 3030, if the world's around then, probably not. But if it is, it would be the same message at the same time. And so, pray that God would speak one thing to you. And then I also want to do this. We're supposed to take, when we hear the Word of God, it is not just to tickle our ear. We are to hear the Word of God so that we may do what it says. To do the Word of God. And that if you hear the Word of God and you don't do it, the Bible says something's going to happen to you. You're going to become hard and callous. And you're going to find yourself on an island and you're going to say, God, how did I get here? You failed me. And God will say, I did not fail you. You did not heed my word. And I'm telling you, a day of judgment and reckoning. I'm not talking about hell later. I'm talking about hell now is going to happen in life. If you think that you can cocoon your life with comfort, that you could make enough money to secure everything and everything the way you want it to be, you've been lied to. It won't. It can't. You can't control it. You can't love Jesus enough because He said 
the things that are going to happen to me are going to happen to you. If you're following him. And somewhere we sort of pass the gospel as saying, if you follow Jesus, everything will always be okay. That everything will be comfortable. That there will be no hardship and there will be no struggle. It makes for bad evangelism to say that there will be struggle and there will be hardship. But it makes for bad theology and bad discipleship. And we call men to say, hey, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Your 501, whatever, your 401k, your 501 or 503b, whatever you call it, of your nonprofit, that those things will be booming. Your marriage will be perfect. Your kids will always obey. You'll have tons of friends. You'll be the most popular man on the block. And you'll know how to fix everything around the house. <laughs> it's perfect. Just follow Jesus. And that's not it. And so we're going to go back to Genesis to see what it is. But that one thing that God would speak to you, mix it with faith and obedience, and He will begin to transform your life to be the leader God has called you, made you, fashioned you, died so that you may be that man. And so let us ask Him right now to do that. Father God, we are here today. We are not here by chance. God, we are here by choice. We are not here reluctantly. We are here willingly. God, that you have spoken. Your word is clear. Your word is true. The most true thing that any of us will hear today is going to be when we hear from your word. And so, Father, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the willing ears and hands and feet to be your men? Father, this culture is desperately dying, and yet there is a remnant And Father, I'm speaking to them. I'm asking you to speak through me to them. I'm saying bring a renewal. Bring an awakening. Father, let your spirit move. We don't want to be the same. We want to be your men. And we want to be your men in this hour, in this country. Because if we aren't going to be your men in this hour, in this country, then why did you save us? We are your method. (laughs) We were your plan. And your plan will not fail. So Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a mandate in Genesis chapter 2 that God, as He fashioned Adam and He looked at Adam, God wasn't haphazardly creating. You look in Genesis 1 and He speaks and it happens and He speaks and it happens and He speaks and it happens and He does it day after day after day. And then He does something He takes his hand, so to speak, and he fashions from the earth man. And then instead of just staying away from and speaking, he gets intimately close. Have any of y'all ever been a lifeguard or done CPR on someone before? Then you know what I'm talking about. If you're a first responder or whatever, you understand the intimacy of that. And God places Himself and He puts His Spirit into, He exhales into the man of dirt and He becomes flesh and blood. Ruach, Spirit, is invested into Adam. None of the rest of creation can say that. Okay, We are not hairless monkeys. We are not highly advanced blue-green algae. We are not random chance occurrence. The society would love for you to think, as a man, you're no different than anything else on the planet. But I'm here to tell you, in God's Word, when He thought of you, it was because you alone would bear His image. You alone would be in His likeness. And that we would somehow miss that and be in a culture today where I I need to... I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. I think think that uh, maybe... God didn't know what he was doing when he made me, and I'm just, uh, I'm not man, I'm, I'm just a, sort of like a grown-up teenager. Or, you know, we have adolescents that are 35 years old that can't make a decision and don't have any moral courage, and they're going from video game to video game to video game to video game, and as Gerald just said downstairs, we're giving our best energy to the things of the earth and not of eternity. Shame on us. But the great thing is this, God has given a mandate in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the very first mission given to man, and it's awesome. Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 15. And if somebody has that, uh, would you read it out really loud? Stand up even and read it really loud. Someone who wants to do that. Thank you. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. That's it. Absolutely. Adam was not created in the garden, first of all. The garden was God's design. God made that. God fashioned Eve inside the garden, but not Adam. God picked up Adam and placed Adam there, and He gave him two commands. And the two commands were to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. For work is labor. It's a servant's role. How many of y'all have gardened before? And you're tilling, and you're laboring, and you're working, and you're striving. It's cultivating, it's tending, it's guiding, it's ruling, it's building up. And then keeping it. Securing the progress as it is done. Protection, guarding, keeping safe, watching over, caring for, maintaining. You can't do that if you don't have authority. So you see in Genesis 2.15 that we were to be servants and we were to be lords. Not the Lord, but we were to be His co-regent, His ambassador on the planet. That as we walked on the planet, we bore His image. And He gave us His power. And He poured His Spirit into us. That we might be servants and lords of His kingdom. And here's the deal. Early on, Adam left the kingdom of God. And Adam started building his own kingdom because Adam doubted God's goodness. Adam doubted. He said, and and who else? Before Adam doubted, Satan doubted. Satan was the head guy in heaven other than Christ Himself. And he wanted his own kingdom. And he brings that down and he infuses that, entertaining that thought that somehow God's holding out on us as men. That God's not good. That he doesn't have something of worth for us as men. And so Adam jettisons this idea of being God's Lord and servant on this earth. And he's moved out of the garden so that he may not partake of the tree of life. And here's why. If he would have, it would have locked him forever away from the kingdom of God. Because it would have sealed forever the state of his heart. The beauty of the gospel is that all of a sudden Jesus allows us now in his grace and his mercy that we can come back under his authority into the kingdom of God. And that we might be the Adam that God had designed us to be. To work and to keep his kingdom. Does that make sense? So when Gerald was talking about the declaration of a new authority, it wasn't the first time that authority had been on the planet. Because actually in the Garden of Eden, Adam walked naked and unashamed with his maker. And when was the last time you and I did that? Naked and unashamed with the maker of heaven and earth. So for us to be the leader God called us to be. He called us all the way back. And in a sense. We are getting to see a restoration of God's kingdom. We get to be a part of his restoration. Out of this idea of Adam building his own kingdom has come the decay and the death that we see around us. The confusion that we mentioned earlier about our society and what is a man and what's not a man. And oh my gosh, where do we look to figure that out? There's this confusion. And in this, I believe that sort of a pessimism has crept into the Christian kingdom in the hearts of men. And, I, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it's just men over 50. And maybe it's just my father. But I hear my father and I read his emails. My dad's 82. He's getting ready to be 83. And he looks around and he scratches his head. And he's like, I don't even recognize what's going on. He said, we've lost everything. Okay? He feels that. I some days, I I look around and I'm like, Lord, there's like 50 million fires going on around me. Whether it's the definition of marriage or whether it's what is right and wrong. Or it's it's even that, that... 
that horrible greed that broke our economic system. I mean, capitalism didn't fail. I'm not defending capitalism, but greed and corruption failed. The people in it failed because they were building their own kingdom. There's enough resources on the world right now to alleviate poverty, but you can send it all to Africa and I'll tell you what's going to happen. There's so much tribalism and corruption there. Warlords against warlords, people being suppressed, brutal dictatorships. You have it here. You go three miles down the freeway and go north two miles. Greed and corruption because men are building their kingdom and not God's kingdom. And so today, I want us to say for a second, let's stop worrying about the minutia. Let's turn to Matthew 6 for a minute. And I'm just going to read scripture. And I, I hope there's enough on the table that when I read in Matthew chapter 6, that you're going to hear these verses with new ears. If you're like me, and you've read the Bible over and over and over. My first year as a Christian, I was a senior in high school. And I was so convicted that I, I had been around the things of God, but I didn't know God. And I started reading in the middle of Romans as a 16 and a half year old guy. And in 40, like 40 times through the New Testament, my senior year. Every night my mom would come in and I'd just be reading and reading and reading because I couldn't believe everything that God had already said that I had missed. And because I had missed it, I looked at where I had been and nothing made sense, but God started making sense. Jesus made sense. Scripture began to make sense. And in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19, and what's going to make sense is that I need to get a bigger Bible. Um <laughs> I want you to hear this because we can hear something so many times that we stop listening and we stop hearing. And Easter, I mean, we, we do this at Christmas and Easter. We know how the story ends, so we find no significance in the coming of the king, the declaration of the new kingdom, the resurrection from the dead. And I'm here to tell you, we got to regain the mystery of the gospel and the, mag the majesty of the king and I want you to hear these words, and I know most of you have heard this before. Think kingdoms here. Two kingdoms. Think it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Two kingdoms on earth and heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, guess what? There your heart will be. Whichever kingdom you're trying to live in, they will have your full allegiance. As Gerald said earlier, you can't be half Christian. You can't. You're not one. Because you can't be one. Because you can't half be in a kingdom and half be in another kingdom. This hurts to hear it. But in America today, I read these verses and I'm like, man, Father, this is where the bride of Christ is today. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank and put anything your heart desires. It might not be money. It might be status. It might not be status. It might be pleasure. It might not be pleasure. It may be control. It might not be control. It may be undiluted power. Okay? I don't know what it is, but you fill it in and you can't do it. It's impossible. The most true thing about anything is what God says about it. And this is Jesus saying it. Adam was made and you and I were made to work and to keep the kingdom of God. Adam left... We followed suit, 
Jesus has come, and now he's calling people back into his kingdom. And he looks around the world and sees all the distractions, and he recognizes. And if he walked around America today, I mean, I think he came when he came, because I don't know if he'd have anyone follow him if he came today. He wouldn't be cool enough. His image wouldn't be great enough. Our hearts are too cool to follow him. But he came at a time that people would hear and we can at least read their words and see their example. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, because the king has come, because you can only serve one of them, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't stress out, don't read the headlines and hold up your hands and have pessimism and despair. Don't look at your bank account and figure, God... Nothing can help me. It's all beyond hope. Don't. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value to Him? And I'm adding that for emphasis. It's not in the text. That's what he means. Are you not of more value than any animal on the planet? Anything else he created? You are the apple of his eye. You were the pinnacle of creation. You are the one that he fashioned with his hands outside of the garden and breathed his ruach into his spirit. He invested into you before you ever knew him. Don't stress out. The story's not done. And he's writing one story. What Gerald reminded us of. And which of you by being anxious, verse 27, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? And he goes on and continues to call us to trust and not to be anxious. So what are we to do to be the leader God has called us to be? And I think it's real simple. We walk back under the Lordship of Christ. We walk back into His kingdom. He's opened it wide. His grace allows that to happen. Adam didn't get that option. Because if Adam would have gone back, and he would have walked, and he would have gone to the tree of life, because you know he would have done that, because death was part of the fall, he would have gone right there, and he would have plucked the fruit, and he would have eaten it. And he would have sealed himself for all eternity in a broken, twisted state of heart. So until Jesus came to set us right in our heart and pour His Spirit into us, He then gave us eternal life so that He could seal us forever in His kingdom. So the tragedy comes is when we are in the kingdom but not of the kingdom. We're in the world and of the world, but we're actually supposed to be His ambassadors, His co-regents, His co-heirs, His workers and His keepers of His kingdom. And so in Joshua 24, 14 and 15, we find this great call, and I love it that Gerald took us into Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. I want you to hear these words, and they're famous words. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and do what? Serve Him. His kingdom. His kingdom. Remember what Jesus said. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Wow. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and in America. 
and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you're volitional creatures. You have a choice to make. You can put your bets wherever you want to put your bets. You can wake up today and decide where are you going to go? Who are you going to labor for? Whose kingdom will you labor in? Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Yahweh. The one who met the one who met Moses. The one who literally would smite the enemies of the kingdom of God. Choose you this day. Which of y'all had anything to do with being a male? I mean, you remember when you were a baby and, you know, they, they had the chromosomes out there and you just went over to the Y bucket and you grabbed the Y chromosome and you, you put that in your DNA and you became a male. Y'all remember that, right? Because you didn't have a gender when you were born, obviously, and you went and you, you were thinking about two X's, but you're like, no, I'll just take an X and I'll take a Y. You had nothing to do with maleness. You have a choice to make about manhood. Male by boy by birth, man by choice. You have a choice to make that if you were to be if you were to be the worker and the keeper in the kingdom of God, you must embrace manhood in your own life. And I'm going to give you a snapshot of some of what that means. To be the leader means to have influence. It's a simple definition of leadership. It's not coercion. Although you can lead people through coercion. It's just their hearts don't necessarily come. As a dad, there are times that I have used superior force to know that if I take away A, B, and C, my kid will comply with me. That doesn't work forever. If I don't win his heart, if he doesn't trust my heart, when he's 13, when he's 12, when he's 11, when he's 16, it's done. Barring God's divine intervention. Okay? So this idea here, leadership is influence. And every leader, though, is influenced by someone also. So, so in the run-up to the election in 2008, we were studying about Bill Ayers. We were like, well, Bill Ayers, well, he influenced Barack Obama. Well, I, I heard that Mitt Romney, well, he was related to this guy, and he thought this, and he was at Bain Capital when they did that, so he's influenced by that, so he's bad, and well, he's bad too. And we look at the influence on the leader, right? So let me give you a question. Who or what is influencing you today? Let me just ask you that question. You don't have to answer out loud. But this is a question every man, not every male, every man has to answer this question. Who or what is influencing you? Because if you are going to be the man God's called you to be, and that means you become the Lord and a servant in His kingdom, that means your influence is in this world. And if you're not being influenced by Him, we got a problem. You won't be the leader He called you to be. You won't. You'll lead people somewhere, but you're not building the kingdom. You're not keeping the kingdom. You're not working for the kingdom. You're not guarding the kingdom. You're not building the kingdom up. God has called us as His men in the world today with the same call He called His original disciples. Write down these four verses. Matthew 28, 18-20. I'm going to call that one verse. Matthew 28, 18-20. Sorry, I didn't have a handout. Matthew 28, 18-20, Acts 1, 8, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, and 2 Timothy 2, 2. Matthew 28, 18-20, Acts 1, 8, Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29, and 2 Timothy 2, 2. You grab all those together, you put a big lasso around those, and that is the Great Commission. Both in its scope, and its methodology, and His call, and better than all of that, guess what He tells us at the very beginning of verses 28? 
All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. The order that we get from God when we are His men comes with all authority. Not part authority. Well, it's true in heaven, but not on earth. It was true in Palestine and Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but it's not true in America today because we're too politically correct to say something. No, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey all that I have taught, baptizing them. Oh, and by the way, in case you think it's a lonely journey, in case, well, I just can't do it on my own. Jesus, it's just too hard because of my circumstances. Oh, I am with you. Emmanuel, the God who's with us. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, well, what's the scope of it? I don't know where you live, but they lived in Jerusalem. And so he said, you will be empowered to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? And Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So start where you are. Start where you are. Well, how will I know when, I, when I've completed that? How will I know when I've made a disciple? Colossians 1, 28 and 29, that we would labor to show every man complete and mature in Christ. For this, I toil with every ounce of strength that the Lord God has given to me. Well, how do I do that? You take the things that you've heard from the Word of God and you commit them to faithful men also. Who in turn will commit them to faithful men also? Who will in turn commit them to faithful men also? We somehow tricked ourselves into believing that if I give a lot of information and I don't invest myself, then I am God's man. That if I can quote a scripture... If I can teach a lesson, if I can sing a solo, if I have a contemporary Christian hit, if I can drill a water well, then I've done enough. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolved of God's call to every man. That call went to every man. Not every male, every man. Not for the earth's kingdom, but for God's kingdom. Because the gospel was a declaration of the new kingdom, but it wasn't the new kingdom, it was the old kingdom being restored. That's why it's so cool, Tolkien's story of the Twin Towers and the return of the king. It wasn't the return of the guy that had never been king. It wasn't a kingdom that had never been. It was a restoration of that. If you read C.S. Lewis, you see it over and over. I love C.S. Lewis. Got a man crush on C.S. Lewis. (laughs) And I know he used nicotine, okay, and I don't like that. But, hey, but it's amazing stuff. We are called to engage in building His kingdom, one disciple at a time. If you are not investing, and let me, God gave me this thing, and I haven't heard it, but it might be in a book because it should be in a book. Okay, if you take a big funnel, and you think about all the relationships in your life, and this funnel is going to be called the funnel of intentionality. Not haphazardness, not chance occurrences, not one-off conversations, but a funnel of intentionality. At the broadest thing, it's interaction. I interact with thousands of people every week. It's crazy. You work in a big church, you got a lot of people that you interact with, and then my son is on a soccer team, and then my daughter is on a volleyball team, and then my younger daughter is in a little ballet class, and then my youngest, youngest daughter is on another soccer team, and she's having a game right now, her very first soccer game, and I'm a bad dad because I'm not there. But I prayed over her this morning, and she was beaming with her little shin guards on, and I told her, I said, I employed my older child to video the whole thing, And I said, you and Daddy are going to sit down and watch your game when I get home. And we are. We interact with thousands. I'm involved with probably 50 to 100 people. I mean, I know through Facebook, phone calls, texts, conversations, what's going on in their life. I pray for them. There's a genuine involvement that I have in their life. And I know that they're doing the same for me. But then there's this really select group that everybody should have somebody in and it's in investment investment from interaction to involvement to investment and at the tip of that funnel there can't be many people if i don't invest in my child 
No one else is called to do that. I better do that. Okay? If I don't invest in my wife according to Paul, I'm to present her spotless before the Lord, washing her clean with the word of the Lord. I fail at that more than I succeed at that. So why try? (laughs) Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I just pick myself back up because God's grace is there. His kindness leads me to repent. And I come back to my wife. And I say, hey honey, I know I've been overwhelmed at work or I've been focused on this or that. Forgive me. And let's pick up again and let's move forward again. And I pray that my wife never loses touch with the grace of God because if she loses touch with the grace of God, our marriage will be done. It will be. I'll never be perfect enough to satisfy her every day, but Jesus will be. She'll never be perfect enough to satisfy me every day, but Jesus will be. If I'm in His kingdom and He is my King and He is with me always, then that lets me know that I have the strength today that no matter what she says, what she does, or what she doesn't say, and what she doesn't do, that He's enough, and He will allow me to honor the vows that I have spoken, the covenant that I've entered into. Single men, hear this, and know this. Marriage will not absolve you of having to go to Jesus Christ every day for your source of life and contentment. You can't have enough sex to make a woman perfect. It doesn't happen. You will need Him every day in marriage, no matter how amazing and beautiful and awesome the lady is. And she will need you too. So don't marry a lady that isn't passionately in love with Christ. Oh, well, you don't understand. I I, I can't control who I fall in love with. Great. You can control who you spend time with, and you'll never fall in love with someone you don't spend time with. So if a lady doesn't passionately love the Lord, don't spend time with her. So that way, whoever you happen to fall in love with, she'll be passionately in love with the Lord. And that will be the greatest bedrock in your marriage. It will save your marriage. It will save you. My wife has stood by my side when I brought pornography into our marriage. She graced me with God's grace, not because of me, because of Him, the the King, the kingdom in which she's walking as well. How are we doing on time? We all right? Give me a time check real quick. Oh, there's a clock. Got 17, 20 minutes, right? Yes. Awesome. We're, we're there. Okay. Um, so what does it look like for us to be the leader God has called us to be? Paul addresses this, and it's really awesome. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, if y'all would turn there very quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to give you three snapshots that Paul gave Timothy. And then I want to unpack those very quickly. And I want to give you seven things that I think you can set your heart on. And maybe one of them will connect with you today. I think all of them are right out of, the, right out of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here it is, verse 3. And get these snapshots and we'll unpack them real quickly. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier entangles in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 5, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Relationships, your job, Decisions you're having to make in friendships and parenting, goals and everything else. Consider what Paul just shared and the Lord will give us understanding. The soldier. Think about the soldier for a moment. He gives us a couple of characteristics, but let me say number one is they're fierce. No pain can stop the soldier. If you don't believe me, God showed it to us in a movie called Gladiator. Oh, okay, maybe not, but... Watch it. It's, it's incredible. 
But we're to endure suffering. We have to be fierce. If we're truly dialed in as a soldier, we're so single-minded that as we take blows, we continue to move forward because fortunately God has given us spiritual armor. We're not taking blows that destroy us forever, but we can be knocked down. I've been knocked down more times than I would like to confess and to admit. And those of you that know me know enough of my story to know that that's true. That's fine. I will be... I don't have to be the fastest guy. It is not a sprint in the kingdom of God. It is a get up, take His grace, humble yourself and walk forward again. And if we quit walking forward, shame on us because we fail Him. He has never failed me. So hear me. I don't know where you are, what you've struggled with. It hasn't wrecked the ending of your life. It hasn't. He will redeem it and He will restore it. Number two, the soldier is focused. There's no entanglement in civilian affairs. They're focused. There's a war going on. 2 Peter 5, 8. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, right? There is a real spiritual battle going on. And the greatest illusion is that, well, that just happens in uh, the jungles in Africa with missionaries. They'll see demonic possession and stuff like that. Nothing like that would ever happen in America There's a spiritual war that's going on. And Paul said it, and Peter said it, and Christ walked into it, and Christ walked out victorious. He declared the new kingdom has come, and we are to walk in the victory of that, but it's still going on in the world around us. And if you don't believe me, you'll be one of the casualties in it. Because you won't be on guard when you need to be on guard. Number three, under the soldier, he is faithful. He is faithful. Just just tell me, When is a soldier off duty if a war is going on? Never. Never. I mean, when I stood and made my vows with my wife almost 16 years ago, I didn't say to her, I will love and honor and cherish and serve you six days a week. And Friday nights are mine, babe. Friday nights are mine. No, I'm married. I'm always married. I'm not off the clock. I'm always a dad right now. I'm not off the clock. I'm a soldier for the Lord. I'm a man. I'm not off the clock. Sorry, but I'm tired. Yo, we that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. Okay, we can walk and not faint. Why? Because greater is He that's in you as a man, than he that's in the world. So for a soldier, man, we can be fierce, focused, and faithful. And all these aren't going to be alliterative. I have no idea how that happened. Number two, the athlete. To compete at that time in Greece, you had to commit to train for ten months. And you stood before the little statue and you vowed that you had trained for ten months. They didn't want a talented person with no discipline to win any contest. So to enter into their athletic contest, they went through a 10-month training program. Train. Commit to training. It might be a milestone class at our church. It might be a small group study in your life Bible study class. It may be a podcast. Train. I believe that most men try really hard when they first become a Christian when they first get married, when they first have a baby, when they get the first day on the job. But the funny thing is, is that when we don't succeed at something as men, guess what we want to do? Quit. If you don't believe me, look at little boys. If a boy strikes out the first five or six times he goes up in the batter's box in baseball, he is looking for the soccer ball. He is looking for a football. He doesn't want to go back. Oh, and when a dad feels like he's horrible or he sucks as being a husband, he stays at work. He doesn't go home. Why would I go home? I don't know what to do when I go home. No one prepared me for what a failure I would feel like when I got married. No one did. No book did. No one talked about it. So I spent my first year of marriage banging my head into the wall in the bedroom like, I just suck. I mean, I would walk around and just say that. And God finally broke me out of that to say, you don't. You're my son. I've called and I've equipped you. I'll show you. You can be the man. 
that your wife needs you to be. Follow me with your whole heart. Pray to me to change you. Get in the Word. Get a brother in Christ and talk to him. Ask an older man advice. Don't be a victim. I mean, in America, I mean, everybody's a victim. I mean, like, reparations could go to all of us at some level, at some point, at some time. Everyone's been done wrong. I mean, my family came over here because they were religiously persecuted. That's why the Reeds came over from England. Okay? Great. England doesn't know me anything. Jesus is the king that I'm serving. I don't need it in this world, and I don't need it in England. I have something they can't take away anymore. And it's because I am a soldier in his army, and I'm an athlete in training for something far greater, with a far greater prize. Underneath that athlete, focused on the prize. There is not an Olympic gold medalist that did not picture themselves at some point holding that little golden thing or that wreath on their head like they used to. I hope, I read that verse out of the middle of Job that said, when it's all said and done, I'm going to stand and my Redeemer lives and He's standing there. Remember that in Job 19? Man, you should think about that and meditate on that every morning when you get up. All is made worth it in victory, by the way. If you've ever sacrificed, uh, in 2000 and 2001, I I coached cross-country for six years, and I had two teams that went back-to-back state championships. They worked really, really hard. They gave up a lot on diet. They, I, I asked them to sign sort of like, a, these are the things you'll eat, these are the things you won't eat. This is when you're going to go to bed before a meet. This is when you're not going to go to bed before a meet. And we, we had some structure there, but it was all worth it when we held up the trophies. It was all worth it when they had the medal. It's all worth it when they hung the banner in the gym, the banner in the gym. It's all worth it when the photo was in the newspaper. It's all worth it. Paul said that literally everything in this world is going to pale in comparison to the exceedingly great abundant treasure that we will have in the presence of God. There is nothing this world has to offer. Paul said, I consider it all rubbish. Rubbish to be thrown away. An athlete, submissive. In keeping the rules. He talked about total obedience last night. Claude King. The rules are there for our protection. The rules are there that we might walk uprightly with God. We ignore them at our peril. I used to believe that freedom meant that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And then I found myself addicted to pornography. And the one thing I wanted to do, which was not look at pornography, but actually value and cherish my wife, I couldn't do. Freedom... To follow Christ and freedom to obey Him is why Jesus came. Not so that I could do anything else and give my strength to it, but that I might be about His mission and His kingdom. The farmer, hardworking, willing to invest time, talent, and energy in something that they don't immediately benefit from. The farmer, hardworking, willing to sacrifice. And beside that, write this, delayed gratification. I don't know how the microwave oven changed everything, but I'll tell you this. High-speed internet changes everything in the way I expect people to respond to me. Email changes and text changes the way I think people should respond to me. I had three long-distance relationships, and those of you over 40 know what a long-distance relationship actually meant. When I had to write a letter and stick it in an envelope and lick it, knowing that it would take three to five days to get to my girlfriend, knowing that she was then going to have to take at least a day to write me a letter back, and she would also have to seal it, and it would take another three to five days to get back to me at college, and then I would open it up, and by then, 55,000 other things had happened, and so you just found yourself writing letters every day, and you didn't get the reply. It was sort of like trying to follow this jumbled mess Because you weren't in real time able to respond. Oh, and long distance calls were like 35 cents a minute or something like that. So, you know, it was like painful. Delayed gratification. There is a kingdom that's on the earth that is not seen. And there is a kingdom that will be on the earth that is promised. A new heaven and a new earth. When things are good in America, I think we tend to think that the kingdom of God really doesn't matter because my economy is so good 
and I have fun, and I've got this sports car, or I've got this vacation coming up, or this was really fun, we got to do this hike, and we saw this beautiful vista, and everything I got, I have, you know, everything I need, I got, and I'm just the happiest man in the world, and God just richly blessed me. I mean, what, what more could I have? I've got my, I got my kids, they love me, my wife loves me, I've got a great job, nothing more. B.S. Everything here, if you stack it against being in the presence of the one who fashioned you, that we could have walked naked and unashamed with day by day by day, it will pale in comparison. Marriage won't even be in heaven. Marriage won't be in heaven. Understand. Hear this. Meditate on this. Think about this when you wake up in the morning. Whose kingdom will you build? Whose kingdom will you watch and keep? So what can we do today to make influence for the kingdom? To be salt and to be light. What can we do as men, regardless of marital status, regardless of the economy, regardless of political affiliation, nationality, or anything else? Number one is we can be a man. We can be a man. We can offer our heart completely to Christ. All I have is yours. That was the last line of the first song we sang this morning. Offer your heart completely to Him. Number two, pray. Pray for His kingdom. Pray for men and women to open their eyes. Pray for the lost. Pray for the addicted. Pray for those struggling. Prayer is not a consolation prize. Somehow it got feminized and had a pink skirt thrown around it and long ringlets. And somehow we began to say, well, I don't know what I can do for you, but I I guess I'll pray. I'm like, no, prayer is not the consolation prize. We are to be men of prayer. His house was to be a house of prayer. Prayer is the first thing we do. It's not the last thing we do. It's not, well, I can't give you a dollar, so I'll pray for you. Really? And Jesus, his disciples were so curious about why did Jesus spend so many hours? Convict me on this one, okay? Hours in prayer. And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They saw, they knew there's something different. It wasn't a recitation. May someone know you that knows you say, hey, teach me to pray. I know you're a man of prayer. I see you in prayer. I can tell you've been with the Father. Moses glowed. They said, we can't handle it. Cover it up, Moses. So he covers it up. We need to have the Shekinah glory of God because we've tabernacled with Him. But it's not an external tabernacle or temple. Where is the temple of God today? Here and here together. We are being built up into a spiritual habitation by God and His Spirit that the men of God would be overflowing with the Spirit of God. Number three, stay focused. Stay focused on His kingdom. I'll ask you a second question. I asked you a question earlier. Let me ask you this question. What keeps you right now and tends to pull you away from Focus on the things of God. I want you to get an answer for yourself. And do this. Whatever it is, declare war on it. Whatever it is, declare war on it. Because it is being waged right now for your heart's focus and your mind's focus. And if we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our strength, and our soul, and something is competing for that, And it may be the next bass boat. It may be the hunting trip next week. It could be a sport team. It could be the next rung on the ladder. I don't know what it is. The next hottest, greatest celebrity. A video game. I don't know. Whatever it is, be on guard. Be on guard. You will lose your love for the king of kings if you do not guard that and focus on that. Number next, number four, band together with other men, not males. Band together with other men. 
life was not to be a solitary journey. The enemy strategy in John 10 was clear. Isolate, entangle, and destroy. He will isolate you, entangle you, and destroy you. If you don't believe me, look at the life of Samson. Isolated, entangled, destroyed. Look at the life of David. Oh, David had Jonathan. No, after Jonathan died, David had a little moment with Bathsheba. He was alone on a rooftop. Isolated, entangled, destroyed. Oh, well, but, but, but Christ came through the lineage of David. Tell David that. It would have been greater and it would have been better. The lineage still would have happened. That's just because God is so faithful. He won't cast him out forever. That when we're faithless, he remains faithful. That doesn't mean we should be faithless. It means, no, we need to band together. When you camp in the coals of the fire and they're separated and you're like, man, we got a sort of cold. It's like two in the morning and man, it's chilly. What do you do? Push the coals back together, right? And you lay some more wood on it and guess what happens? It rekindles itself. At our church, we have a small group called GM6. Got my six. It's about men who watch your back and you watch their back. If you don't have at least one other man praying for you, fighting for you, encouraging you, you are in mortal danger. I promise you. Because you've already been snared into the very first trap. Isolation. You will then get entangled. It doesn't have to be pornography. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be something good. And you will be destroyed because that's the enemy's M.O. Number five, fight and learn to fight. And it wasn't until probably seven or eight years ago that God removed enough stuff in my life that I began to actually believe in spiritual warfare and spiritual fighting. And I'm not being hooky-kooky at all. There, there is a great book called The Invisible War. It's a great book. By Tim, I think, Tim Kimmel, you're, you're nodding your head. Chip Ingram. Chip Ingram, that's it, Chip Ingram. The Invisible War. It's, it's, it's not big, it's highly biblical, it's very balanced. And God used that book in a huge way to begin to show me how to do the two things He's commanded me to do. Guard my heart and take every thought captive. His Word is part of that mission. If you're not in His Word, what Gerald said... We need His Word. We need His truth. Because that's the weapon to fight the lie that leads me to want to medicate my problems in my life with pornography. Your life, it might be something else. No one has an alcohol problem. People probably have a out-of-control anxiety. Or I'm not just the man I want to be. And so alcohol is my answer to my problem. So my answer to my manhood problem was pornography. Okay, it wasn't a porn problem. It was a it was a manhood problem. And God has taken me in there and shown me and taught me. But I had to learn to fight and you have to learn to fight. And then the next two things, invest in other men. And we talked about the funnel of intentionality from interacting to involvement to investment. Make disciples be engaged in that. That is a non optional thing for a man. It's non optional. It's the command. It's his method. It's what he intends for us. And lastly, rest in Him. Sabbath. Shalom. The King is on the throne. And the King is here right now. And the King is inside of you. And you can do all of this and you can rest. It is not about me making it happen. It's about me following what God is already doing. Taking that experiencing God idea. God is at work. We're joining Him in the work. I'm not moving God. God is moving me. I don't have to make it happen. I get to be there when God shows up and does it. But He needs me to be there. He needs me to have the ears to hear. He needs me to have a heart that has faith in Him. He needs me a mind that's been transformed. He needs my hands and feet. He chose to use you and me to build His kingdom and to protect His kingdom. He did. Sometimes we protect his kingdom through adoption. And we adopt a kid that's not going to have parents. We, got, we adopt a kid. Sometimes it's by being a foster, foster parent. Sometimes it's being a big brother or a big sister to someone that's in the faith center, the apartments right over the, right over the way. Sometimes it's taking a guy five years younger than us and saying, hey, what are you doing today? And you actually engage them in a real conversation. How's it going? Tell me, 
Tell me about how marriage is going. Tell me how, how, how's work going. Hey, what's the greatest joy in your life? What are you, what are you really going for? I mean, yeah, I know you, you just got this job, but I mean, life is more than a job, isn't it? Yeah. Well, tell me about it. What are you, what are you living for right now? Begin to engage men, calling boys to be men, males to be men. The kingdom needs to expand. The days are short because all authority on heaven and earth rests in Christ. We can rest. If he didn't have all authority, we couldn't. I want to close with a couple of, a couple of things. I was going through the book of Psalms. I I'm, I'm started an art ministry here about five, six years ago. And we do themed art shows. And our next one is going to be called Psalms for the City. We're taking our favorite Psalms. And in going through Psalms, I kept seeing all these things like, God is this fortress, and God is this strong tower, and God is this rock. What good does a fortress do if you're standing in front of it? What good does it do while the enemy is coming if you're standing in the doorway, one foot inside of it and one foot outside of it? What good does a fortress do? Nothing. A strong tower? A mighty storm comes and I'm sitting out in the fields. What good does a strong tower do? I can point to it. Oh, that's great. That, look at that church over there. No, you're the church. You and I are the church. You and I are the kingdom. And if we're, if we're not in Him, those promises aren't ours. If we're not resting in Him, the benefit's not there. Jim Elliott had a quote and he, and he said this, Blood is only of value when it is poured before thine altar. In other words, all the blood of Christ poured over every one of your lives does me no good. But if I let His blood wash me, I've been made new. And it matters. And so this weekend is about finishing strong. To finish strong, you have to begin. To begin, you have to be born again. And so I just want to say, I don't know where y'all are. We've talked about a ton of other stuff, but your first step is to get into His kingdom. It's to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, if you're like, well, I prayed a prayer when I was little, I have no idea what I really meant or did. I'm going to say today, I would encourage you to say, Lord God, I want to be in your kingdom. I want you to be my Lord, not just Savior. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you I need your life inside of me. If you are in His kingdom, I want to call you to a radical allegiance and commitment and surrender to His Lordship in every area of life. And you will not be able to do it alone. You won't. You're going to need a friend. You're going to need more than one friend. I praise God for the men in my life. I can't tell you many sermons that have changed my life, but I can tell you many men that God has used to change my life. And yes, he's also used some women too. My grandmother and my mom and my wife have been unbelievable examples to me. And so I want to pray right now. I want you all to pray with me. Whatever God has shown you, I want you to write it down. If you've got your iPhone, just, just put down what is that one thing. I asked you to say, God, show me one thing. I want you to to have the balls to write that one thing down, or excuse the expression, but have the intestinal fortitude to write the one thing down or type that in. No one is, you're not going to turn that into me. But I know this, if you think about the parable of the soils, Satan's very first strategy when the Word of God is proclaimed is what? Snatch it from the ground and take it away as if it were never spoken. And if you don't write it down, you won't remember it because the enemy won't allow you to remember it. So write it down, one thing that you believe God has spoken to you in this time here. Father God, I believe that you have spoken to us as men. I believe that your word is true. I believe that there's no one here by chance. I believe that our greater days are in front of us and not behind us. 
God, I believe that you don't want us to wring our hands in fear. Father, I believe that you don't want us to have anxiety and wake up in the middle of the night and try to figure out what's going on in our country. God, I believe that you are waiting for men to stand up in the truth of your word and in the power of your spirit and to be the men that you have called them to be. I believe, Lord, that you have asked us and called us and given us a mission under all of your authority to make disciples. And Father, I know that we are to be trained and to be equipped, that we are to be willing to suffer and we are to be prayerful and we are to be engaged. So Father... Would you help us take that next obedience step? We can't move every mountain in one day, but Lord, you can. We can't go back and undo yesterday, but Father, you can redo today. Father, that today is the day of salvation. That today we can say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That tomorrow we can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the next day, God, we can say when we wake up in the morning, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so, God, that your kingdom has come and that we now can walk as we were intended with you daily. May these men have your courage and your strength and your purity to be your men in your kingdom in this country for this time. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, If you're a member of the church here or you live nearby, we are going to be having November 3rd a time of prayer for our nation. We're not endorsing any political candidate. We know that God is greater and over all. And uh, I would love for you to join us. Uh, We do this four times a year. It's called Men Pray. So if you want to pass these around, it's also on the website. But God has called us to to be men of prayer. And God has called us to... I mean, just... Prayer is not feminine. It's not... I learned about prayer from my grandmother, though. But I think it makes my grandmother smile in heaven to know that her grandson is trying to pray as fervently as she prayed. And for us, man, praying together with each other, power. I know we've run over about five, five minutes, something like that. Um, so let's, we're going to go downstairs. Y'all are dismissed. Thank you, guys. Greg, thanks.